as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. This morning we're going to continue our series in this incredible book of Acts. Uh, I've entitled this Empowered to Tell. It's the New Testament book that kind of gives us the history of us, the early church, and how the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came for us, that he came to die for our sins, and he defeated our greatest enemy, even death itself, that right now Jesus is alive. And it's how he wants to share this good news, as he wants to give us his life. He's empowered us with his spirit. And the whole book of Acts is basically this, is how the gospel, how this good news is going to reach you in the ends of the earth. But more than that, it's, it's how God uses us to tell his story. It's incredible. Holy God, creator God, pure God, chooses his family to tell about his love and his goodness in the gospel. So let's continue to journey together this morning. Hey, this week I got a call from a dear friend, uh, a lifelong friend. We hung out together. We grew up together. We played sports together. And he was moving. So it's kind of one of those friends now that you usually touch base at those milestone events in life. He's moving out of the Windy City, Chicago for Buffalo, New York. (laughs) He leaves the Windy City. He heads to the Snowy City, right? And so... Uh, You want to ask him, uh, hey, Ed, um, who in their right mind moves to Buffalo in February? I say, you know, have you looked at the news? I mean, looked at the weather. It's like a high of balmy 24. And so, of course, when I'm talking to him, I'm like, hey, uh, let me just tell you what I see. Palm trees, sunshine, 70 degrees. Enjoy Buffalo. He says, I'm moving right into the heart of Buffalo. I'm like, is there such a thing? I mean, come on. Now, listen, for those of you who think I'm being tough on Buffalo, I was born in Buffalo, all right? So I could talk about Buffalo. These are my, those are my place. It's my hometown. Thank God I didn't grow up in Buffalo. And thank goodness I got out of upstate New York. But again, you want to know who in their right mind moves to Buffalo in February? Well, you start to put the pieces together. Job, of course. Got a great opportunity. He's going to go. But more importantly, it's family. His parents are getting older, know him. Uh, His dad's been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, They want to move closer. So can't you relate to that? Maybe uh, maybe right now uh, there's someone in your family you wish to be closer to. Or maybe there's a job that might be tugging you away. Or maybe you came here because of that. But again, uh, usually we can look to certain events in our lives and say, well, this is why it happened. This morning we're going to look to the life of Philip. And we're going to see a man and wonder, why in the world did he leave where God had placed him? Uh, Philip was in Samaria, where we pick up the story. If you remember the story about Philip, uh, Philip uh, came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He was used in the early church as a deacon. But Philip was part of the church that was persecuted in Jerusalem. And because of that persecution, he was sent to Samaria. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll find out that the Jewish folks and early Christians, they, Samaria was a tough place for them. But when Philip went, and he went to a place called Samaria, it's amazing what he did. He didn't lament the fact that he lost his home, lost his job, lost all of his routines. He went to Samaria with good news. The good news that God is really for us. The good news that Jesus is alive and he's forgiven our sins. And everywhere he went, he went proclaiming this good news. And God used him mightily. 
And yet God used Philip and this whole city for a joy revival. As a matter of fact, this place, this whole place was like filled with the good news of Christ. So much so, they were rejoicing. It was the city filled with joy. Wouldn't you long to see that transformation? So what does God do to the number one evangelist? What does God do to the hottest Christian uh, on the planet? What does God do to the guy that he's using to do incredible stuff to? He sends him to a desert. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever been there? Uh, you ever felt like, God, I'm loving the situation. Why are you calling me there? Maybe for some of you, you feel in the desert now. Uh, this is the story of Philip, but really it's the story of God. And we're going to see in this story of uh, God is how God blesses us in some of the most unlikely places and how the gospel brings life to some of the places that are the most dry. Let's look to God's word. We're going to pick up the story where we left off right before the missions festival in Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 26. Uh, Luke wrote this a long time ago. And Luke wrote it a long time ago, but because Luke was uh, literally uh, filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that he was writing God's very word. Here's the point. This is not a story to entertain us. This is a story that should transect our very lives, that should enter into our hearts and to remind us of the love of Christ, to remind us who we are. And because of that, you're, you're here by design. And listen, God wants to speak to you through his word. So let's go before him and ask him to speak clearly. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. As we read this, I'm going to give you a little bit of commentary to bring some things to light as we read. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this, by the way, is a desert place. I love this. It's an emphasis. I want you to go. I want you to go south. And by the way, where you're going, it's pretty darn barren. It's desert. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. Okay, let's stop right there and look at this. Uh, an Ethiopian from Africa, uh, probably dark-skinned, uh, a eunuch, uh, not something that we might not know about in our day and age, but a, a eunuch is someone who has been altered, um, uh, altered, emasculated, uh, because of uh, probably serving in a, in a royal court. And so somebody who has had a life-changing operation, um, an operation that will make him benign, that would make him no threat to a queen, right? Uh, no threat to power. And so here's who you have. You have this Ethiopian uh, from Africa. You have uh, uh, one, he is, he's in the court officials of Candace. That's probably more of a title than a name. A queen of the Ethiopians. And he was in charge of all the treasures. This is a, this is a man of means. This is a man with a good job. Uh, but this is a man with some issues. But listen to him. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Hmm. Although uh, that would not be a, a typical thing for someone, uh, an Ethiopian. He was putting his faith in Yahweh. This is someone who says rejecting the many gods of his country to go to the one God um, of, of Israel. And he went to worship. And as he was returning, seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, in that day and age, or when you traveled, it was mostly by your PF flyers. You, you walked. Um, if you were rich, you, you rode on a donkey. Uh, 
If you were a military general, you had a horse. But if you were really, really rich, you had a chariot or a BMW or a Mercedes. He had a chariot. That's what he had. And so it's, you could tell this, this man uh, um, obviously was a man of means. Uh, he actually had the scroll of Isaiah. Now, how many Bibles do you have in your house? I bet you have more than one. But for someone to actually have a scroll of Isaiah is really unusual. So he probably, again, probably a rich man uh, who had gone to worship, uh, got this scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading. Let's continue in verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, hmm, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah. That's, that's very normal that you read out loud at that day, the prophet Isaiah, and ask, hey, do you understand what you're reading? I love this picture. This is awesome. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Isaiah 53, part of Isaiah 53. Amazing, almost the entire chapter of Isaiah 53 is quoted in the New Testament. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear, it's silent. So he opens not his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. Remember, they're in the desert. Hmm. And the eunuch said, see, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Was it just he went away? Was it miraculous? I don't know. And the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. Everywhere Philip goes, he tells good news. And everyone he leaves is rejoicing because of what Jesus has done. But Philip found himself in Azortus. And he passed through. He, as, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Interestingly, in the book of Acts, we'll find him later. That's where he apparently settles with he and his daughters. Let us pray. Father, what an incredible story. What a great story um, of, of a rescue that you have for us today. But Father, I pray for the same spirit that directed Philip would direct this broken sinner. Father, I love the fact that it was from that very passage of Scripture that Philip opened up his mouth and proclaimed good news about Jesus. Father, for your glory, and for your Son, and for the Spirit, would you open up my mouth to declare the good news about Jesus. Father, would you give us ears to hear Jesus' voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word, how this story intersects our life, and what you have for us in your living word today? Father, I pray that your Spirit would be so clearly here with each one that is here, that, God, that you would work on our hearts, either the, the parts of our hearts that are filled with unbelief or the parts of our hearts that are stone cold because of sin. 
that God, you would lovingly come and break open our hearts to your love and to your word. And Father, would you be with us in such a tangible way that you would empower our feet, our feet to walk in obedience to you, just like Philip's feet were so obedient to you. May the good news of the gospel fill us with joy so that we could leave here as your storytellers. All for your glory, we pray. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be quickly forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior. And it's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me, the outline is in your bulletin. Uh, You have it there. The first thing we're going to see is this, leaving fruitfulness for desert places. Again, let's look and take a pause here and look a little bit closer at Philip. I mean, Philip, Scripture describes to us as a man of God who is filled with the Spirit of God. And Philip, when he went into Samaria, God used him so mightily that he was proclaiming to everyone that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And I tell you what, God used him to break out revival. If you've been journeying with us together, you know that in Samaria there was another guy named Simon. And Simon was like a magician. I mean, he was into black magic. And he, he really had everybody's attention. And everybody was amazed for years of all the things that Simon was able to do. But when Philip came, he preached something different. He preached what's amazing about Jesus, that, that God's own son became flesh and dwelt among us to live the life that we were supposed to live, that Jesus died the death that we deserve, that Jesus overcame the grave, and now that life and life abundantly reigns in him. And God was so powerfully speaking through Philip. It says this, it says the whole town with one accord, they they all were focused on him. They all were just amazed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what they were amazed of, it included them. And God had so touched this man that he was doing signs and wonders and his lifestyle matched his message. And even in Samaria, revival broke out. I mean, people were rejoicing. People were being set free. And it's in this context of revival that God says, hey, I'm gonna take my number one guy. (laughs) I'm gonna take the guy that's the hottest thing since sliced bread. I'm gonna take the evangelist of all evangelists. And by the way, I'm gonna send him to a desert. Who does that? Who does that at the actual height of his ministry? Let me ask you, have you ever felt that God, maybe out of nowhere, sent you to a desert place? You ever wondered why? Why here? Why now? But the amazing thing I love about Philip is he didn't question. I think it says immediately he he arose and he went. Do you know the conversation I'd be having with God? God, I'm doing some great work for you here in Samaria. God, look at all the people rejoicing. God, look at all this stuff. You want me to go where? But what does he do? I mean, in complete obedience to the one he loves, to the one who set him free, he rises and he goes to a desert place. And then it says this. I don't know how he did. He's walking along. He sees a chariot, and then he feels the Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord, tell him, hey, will you run up to that chariot and, and go talk to him? What kind of conversation would you have with God? Are you kidding me? I, I don't know them. That, that, that looks like a foreigner. But again, he runs. God speaks. He runs. He ran to it. He said, hey, do you know what you're reading? It's interesting here because it talks about the angel of the Lord sent him to the desert. 
It says the spirit of the Lord, or the spirit told him to go run alongside the chariot. What does that look like? Can I tell you, tell you the truth? I don't know. Was the angel of the Lord an audible voice? Philip, go into the desert. Was it a little nudging? I mean, did the spirit say, well, there is the chariot, run alongside? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But I can tell you how the spirit of the Lord speaks to me. I was having lunch with a dear friend this week, and he's gone through some tough times. Uh, he struggled in his career, and then he kind of took some time off, and he helped a, a ministry that was struggling. And now he's trying to get back on track with, with his, his job, his career, and a lot of things, and trying to put together the pieces of why didn't this work? You know what that's like, right? When you feel like God's called you to something, it doesn't quite work, and you're like, why? What in the world's going on? So I mean, I'm, I'm being Pastor Jeff, man. I mean, I'm loving, I'm saying, hey, don't forget it's who you are that matters more than what you do. And don't forget that you've been set free by the blood of Christ. And don't forget you're a beloved child of the King. And don't forget that God just wants you to be obedient. And that's really what he's called you. And I'm, I'm loving on him. And you know, I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, hey, tell him the truth about you. Okay, so I paused my preacher Jeff lunch and stopped back and said, you know, you know I struggle with my identity. Do you know I really struggle with who I am? Do you know that, that there's a constant tape that runs in my mind that says you, and I'll edit this, stink? And I just live my life wondering, am I good enough? And, and, and have I done enough? And, 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 and do I love enough? And, and, and am I enough? And, and I'm just pathetically over it. And I got to be reminded of the gospel, the good news of Christ, that, that my acceptance in God's eyes is not in what I do and how much I do it. And that my acceptance in God's eyes is not that I'm a pastor and not that I'm religious and not that I do anything. My acceptance in God's eyes is in Jesus Christ alone and his righteousness. But I still forget it. And every day a tape will try to turn on that says something that's not true about me. And i got to listen to the gospel, what is true about me and what is true about who I am in God's eyes. So I don't know how Philip was directed by the Spirit of God. I don't know, but I know in times in my life the Spirit has been so clear just to remind me of who I am and what he's calling me to do. But what I see about Philip is this. He can't stop talking about Jesus. I love that about him. Everywhere he goes. I mean, the guy's in Jerusalem. He's talking about Jesus. He's persecuted. He's in Samaria. He's talking about the good news of Jesus. He's in the desert, and he's talking about Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ had consumed and defined Philip. Think about this. The good news of who he was in God's eyes through the work of Christ had so consumed him and so defined him that his circumstances could not. Is it true of you? What defines you? Please don't say it's what you do. What defines you? Please don't say it's because of what family you come from or, or what job you have or for goodness sakes, not what neighborhood you live in, right? Or not what car you drive or please, it's not what you did athletically back when, right? What defines you? Is it your circumstances or is it the gospel of Jesus Christ? What consumes you, what consumed and defined Philip was Jesus. I'm so struck of how in tune he was with God. I mean, how in tune he was just to, to listen and to, to hear God's direction. How clearly are you tuned in? And I, I just, uh, we travel, I, I love 
trying to find a good station and hanging on to it as long as it can, you know. And eventually it gets static. And what do you try to do? You try to fine-tune it. Let me see if I can get this thing fine-tuned to, to really listen. How is it with you? Is you in a spot where you could clearly hear? Maybe some fine-tuning needs to be done. Maybe some overhauling. But again, I'm struck with the primary fact that the gospel was Philip's life. What are you living for? I know that I struggle too to try to live for myself, to try to make my own name. But Philip, by God's grace, found it in Christ. All right, so the first thing we see is leaving fruitfulness for a desert place. And that's, that's incredible he was willing to do that. Second thing is this, seeking one dry tree in a barren land. Uh, clearly, we, there's a juxtaposition between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. And clearly the Luke wants us all to see this is a man. This Ethiopian man, this Ethiopian eunuch was clearly seeking God. You gotta love it about this guy. I mean, this guy had a couple of strikes against him when it came to going to Jerusalem in the temple, uh, but he went there to worship God. He went there as a royal official. I mean, I'm sure he came into town, everybody noticed him, but still he longed to worship God. And it's highly unusual to find an Ethiopian there. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah. This is a guy that's clearly seeking God. And listen, if you know the rest of the story, if you know a little bit more of God's story, you can understand why he's so longing for God. Do you know that in the Old Testament, in the law, anybody in his condition, emasculated, wasn't allowed in to the temple? Do you know that there were some rules of where foreigners and Gentiles could go? Do you know, listen, listen, put yourself in this guy's chariot. He went to go find God. And he went to the one place he thought God was. And he went to longing to be a part of God's people. And he, and he leaves there reading Isaiah. And, and you know that he had to be longing. Do I belong? Do I fit? Am, am, am I qualified? Am I disqualified? Can God really love me? I mean, how many of us have had that question, right? I mean, that's exactly where we find this Ethiopian eunuch. He considered himself a dry tree. But the beautiful thing is you see an Ethiopian eunuch who's seeking God, but you know who really is doing the seeking in this passage? God. It's so beautiful. It's God looking for his lost sheep. It's God going out after one. I mean, the one who's doing the seeking here is not really the Ethiopian eunuch. It's the Lord Almighty. How does God do the seeking? He sends the hottest evangelist on the planet to go find one lost sheep. I love God's economy of scale. I love it. There's one lost sheep in a desert, and you got to go. You're the hottest thing we got. Go. God's the one who does the seeking. What's the guy reading? He's reading Isaiah. Where is he reading? He's reading Isaiah 53. If there was ever a passage in the Old Testament that clearly pointed that one who would be pierced for our transgressions, one who would have the iniquity of us all placed on him, one that through his wounds we will be healed. It's amazing that God is giving this man his love and seeking him, having him read Isaiah 53 and sending the hottest evangelist to go explain it to him. What an amazing God. You know, for every one of his lost sheep, he comes and seeks after us. But I want to show you what, I want to show you something that makes this whole passage just like come alive. 
I want to show you something that, that I believe uh, is this eunuch's favorite passage in Isaiah. I don't think his favorite passage in Isaiah was 53. But I think that he went back to this passage to say, show me again who this suffering servant is all about. Tell me again about the one who's going to come and uh, secure God's promises. Why? Because I truly believe he had read Isaiah 56, 3 through 8. Let's go there. Isaiah 56, 3 through 8. I mean, listen to this. This is so beautiful. Put yourself in the chariot of the eunuch. And maybe you don't have to do that too far because maybe you feel just like he does, an outsider to God. It says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, now by the way, this is a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. I mean, here you have a foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord. And here you have a eunuch who considers himself a dry tree. And here you have the promises of God saying that there's going to be a servant that will come that will suffer for him. And there's going to be a servant to come that will no longer make him a dry tree. That will, that will give him a name, an everlasting name. That will never cut him off from God's people. That you don't have to go to the temple to be reminded you don't belong there. But you do belong with a God who really is. And you do belong in Jesus. And you are mine, and I'll never let you go. It's interesting. Now he talks about this dry tree. I mean, it's such imagery with this eunuch. And then it says, a monument and a name. In the Old Testament, there's one other who built a monument to himself because he had no children. And it was Absalom. Absalom, a a rebellious son of King David, who longed to have a name that would continue, that longed to have an identity that people would remember. And here's what God says. To all you who feel foreign, to all who you feel feel cut off, in Christ Jesus, I'm bringing you near. In Christ Jesus, I'm going to give you a name. It's an everlasting name. I'm going to give you a place within my house, in the temple, because we are the temple of God. I'm going to give you a place within the city walls, because you'll be fitting in the city of God. And I'll never let you go. You know that this had to be his favorite passage. Let's, let's continue reading. And the foreign who joins himself to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all peoples. Jesus quotes that. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will, yet, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Let me, let, me, uh, let me just try to bring a little bit more clarity to this passage. You look at this and you look at the longing the eunuch had to belong. The longing the eunuch had to not be an outcast but to be given an everlasting name. And that's the only thing we find in the gospel. But it says this, it says, those who keep the Sabbath and those who keep covenant. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible says that we're only set free and saved by God's grace through faith, not by works? What does it mean? 
But we realize when we look at the whole of Scripture that Jesus himself says he is the Lord of the Sabbath. That the ultimate rest that we long for is found in him. And when he declared on the cross that that it is finished, that our sins were truly paid. And that Jesus is the one who made covenant with us because he's the covenant-making God. He tells us how to relate to him and what we need to do. But listen to this. This is so cool. Jesus is not only the covenant-making God. You ready for this? Jesus is the covenant-keeping God who's done all that the holy God requires of us so that in him we have life. In him we have forgiveness. In him we've been set free. It's not by keeping Sabbath and the covenant. It's by clinging to the one who did and clinging to the one who will set us free. And I'll tell you, that Ethiopian eunuch, he went back to that suffering servant and said, wait a minute, this Isaiah says that there's a servant to come and the servant to come is going to really set me free. And the servant to come, he's going to be dead for my transgressions. He's going to be pierced for me. Tell me who this is. I got to know this one because I long to belong. The one is Jesus. And Philip opened up his mouth and with this passage proclaimed good news. The good news of Jesus. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ gave this eunuch everything he longed for. He longed to belong, and so do you. He longed to belong, but he couldn't find it in religion, but he found it in Jesus. He longed for a name that was in, it would endure. I mean, he's a eunuch, he's got no family. He longed for something that was beyond himself and he found it in Jesus. He longed to be fruitful. And it will tell us in history that he was the first evangelist to go back to Ethiopia and that God would use him mightily to be fruitful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what this eunuch feared? He feared being cut off. And I hate, <laughs> he feared being cut off and that image would haunt him. And as a eunuch, you understand why. But Jesus gave this eunuch everything he longed for. Not religion. Not a temple that was a vacant place. But a relationship with the true and living God. See, in this, in this passage is so incredible. Because in this passage, here's what's happening. The book of Acts is being fulfilled. What happens in the book of Acts? Jesus says, he comes, the resurrected Jesus comes to his apostles. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. You, church, you're going to be my witnesses. Uh, I'm going to tell my story through you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Guess what? So far we've seen Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And guess who this Ethiopian man is? It's the ends of the earth. This is the fulfillment of the book of Acts. There's more than that. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah. What does Isaiah say? I'm going to gather more. I'm going to gather more who feel cut off. This suffering servant is going to gather the beloved sheep, the lost sheep. This is the fulfillment he's being gathered in. This is the absolute fulfillment of all of God's word. God says the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope we have, and it will go to the ends of the earth, and it will set men and women and children free who by God's grace put their faith in him. What an amazing passage. Thirdly, finding life-giving water in unlikely places. Don't you love the fact that in the desert they just happen to have water? And again, there's so much to say on baptism this morning. And all I want to say is that this eunuch wanted so badly for the sign and seal of that relationship to be placed on him. But what I want to focus on is just that desert place. The eunuch had gone, listen, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to find God. But God found the eunuch in the desert. What an unusual place for the gospel. 
but what a beautiful place. I gotta tell you, I've seen God do some of his most impressive work in the desert. Walking into a hospital room this week, Deborah Jamad, who's 43, battling cancer. Little Hannah, who's six or seven. Kevin, hospice being called in. It's the desert. It's the desert, it's awful. But to see the peace of God, and to see the hope of God. I've had the privilege of standing by bedsides and just been blown away that in desert places, God has showed up and do a great work. I've been with widows. I've been with folks who've been divorced. I've seen, haven't you? Haven't you seen, I mean, in the desert, have you seen God show up? I mean, have you, have you seen him just, even in your own life, even through the tears, even through the brokenness, even through the sorrow, even through the sadness. Do you know our God does some of his best work in the desert? He does. I mean, it was true of Jesus. I mean, he gets baptized. He gets sent where? To the desert. Through to God's people. They wander in the desert. From suffering to glory is the way home, my brothers and sisters. But God gives life-giving water in unlikely places. And to all you who feel broken, maybe unemployed, maybe estranged, mistreated, I'll end where I started, Isaiah 55. He says, to all of you who are thirsty, like that Ethiopian eunuch was thirsty and longing, he says, come. Come, come just as you are. Come to me and let me set you free. Let me give you everything that you long for. I will give you my name. I'll give you my identity. I'll wash away your sins. Come. Come and drink deeply. Come and receive life. Come to the living waters. How is it with you? Is he calling you to a desert place to go and serve him? Or are you in the desert place right now? Let me promise you, he'll either send you or he'll meet you there. But drink deeply of the gospel. May the gospel define you not your circumstances. Let us pray. And Father, thank you that you gave us this incredible story. What a missionary God you are, that you would take the, the best evangelist of his lifetime, of, of that time, in an amazing city doing incredible work, and you'd say, I want you to go find one. Go find one. One lost sheep, leave the 99, go get one. And God, I thank you for this Ethiopian eunuch. I thank you for the grace in his life that he's longing for you and pursuing you. He would never long for you. He wouldn't pursue you for one step if you weren't pursuing him. But I love the fact that the hero of the story isn't the eunuch and it's not Philip, it's you, Jesus. You're the hero of the story. You're the hero of the story because you're the one, you're the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 that he was reading about that would come, that would come and be pierced for our transgressions, that would become, that would come, that our iniquity would be placed upon him, that through his stripes we would be healed. It's you, Jesus. It's you. You are the hero of this story. You always are. And Father, everything that we long for and everything that we need we find in him. And I thank you that he will define us in the desert, not our circumstances. And I thank you that in the desert, you do some of the best work. And Father, I pray for my beloved Orangewood family, for those that you might be calling to the desert. God, I pray that you give them boldness and faith 
to believe like Philip, to go and to see what you'll do. And Father, for those dear ones of yours that are just so dang thirsty right now in the desert, God, please do great work. Just remind them of the gospel. Remind them it's true. And Father, I pray for anyone here that, that doesn't know you. They might be like this Ethiopian eunuch was before he had explained to him. Maybe trying to find you and trying to do it through religion. And God, I pray that you give them the grace to open up their eyes. It's not through religion. It's through a relationship with you. By your grace and faith that we're set free. Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today would be the day that you'd grant them the eyes to see that Jesus is real and what he has done for us. Father, may this church be a place that's safe for those in the desert. May it be a place that provides cool water of the gospel for all in need. All for your glory, we pray. Amen.